we're continuing in this series and, and uh, on First Thessalonians, and so I am totally worn out. And uh, you know what? I hope my voice holds up uh, through this service as we look at this issue because I was pretty amped up Saturday night and in the early service as well because for several weeks I've been studying about the second coming of Jesus Christ. And so, so we're just going to walk through that. And we're going to walk through the, the, um, the passages of Scripture and what Scripture relates to us. You see, here, here's the deal. So, so they had questions there, the same thing that we did. They're first-generation questions. They had questions about the second coming, what is up with that, what that looks like. Now listen, today, I'm not going to answer all of your questions. Fact is, you may be a lot like those in Thessalonica. Because Paul wrote 1 Thessalonians into the church, and in chapter 4, he begins talking about the second coming. He begins talking about the mechanics and what that looks like. And so he wrote the letter, sent it off, and they ended up having a bunch more questions like, we don't need just to know the mechanics, but... But what is that whole deal? What is the tribulation period? What is the Antichrist? What is the beast? How does that look? Where will we be? And, and all of those other things. And so Second Thessalonians, Paul writes back into the church and gives them even more details. Now listen, the next three or four weeks is critical for you just to be here. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about common uh, uh, today's uh, current events. We'll talk about Scripture. Yeah, we'll get to Revelation. We'll look at Revelation together. I'll tell you my eschatology. Now, eschatology is just a big theological term that basically means this, the study of end times. And so you'll know where I stand because I, I want to be clear on that. I want you to know where, where I stand because I think it's important. I think you need to know. And so they were having a lot of questions. And so Paul begins writing into their culture, into our time. And here's the interesting thing. The very questions, the very concerns that they have, we have of our day. The very questions that they were asking, people are asking right now. While they're looking at the seasons and they're looking at some of the, the, the forecast and, and the unsettledness and, and the concern and all of these other things. We have them today as well. Now listen, hope, or let's do it this way. Optimism is psychological. Hope is theological. Optimism is focused on man. Hope is focused on God. Um, optimism focuses on what man can do. What you can do in the situation, how you can make the situation better. And so you hear a lot of people in our time, peace and security, we'll figure it out. One world religion, one world government, uh, we'll get this whole deal figured out. Uh, we hear that going on right now. The Bible talks about that. But, but optimism is a focus on what man can do. Now listen, hope is theological. Hope doesn't focus on what man can do. Hope focuses on God. And hope focuses on what God can do. And so, you know, I mean, we know this, right? I mean, those of you that are sports fans, if you know how the game ends, if you know your team wins, the game's not as stressful, right? I mean, because I work on the weekends and I live in like Bronco country and I'm a cowboy fan, that's just the burden I carry. And you know what? I TiVo every game, uh, you know, every cowboy game. But you know, because of some of the Bronco fans in this church, you make sure I know the score before I leave. And I mean, I mean I'll try to disconnect and I won't look at any text and Twitter or email or anything like that. But a lot of you love telling me the score of the cowboy game. And, and you know what? And, and so that's okay. But, but here's the deal. When I know they win, which is often, <laughs> when I know they win, when they're 21 points down, I'm not stressed. 
I'm not worried if Tony Romo's going to throw an interception. I'm not worried if they're going to call the right play. I'm not, wor- I'm not as stressed because why? I know how the game wins. I know, I mean, ends. I know they win. And the same is true in end times theology. The same is true. It's not optimism, it's hope. Hope is that we trust in God. And so Paul begins to write into, into their life and speak into their life and says, let me tell you how this whole thing goes down. Let me tell you who wins so that you can have confidence so you don't have optimism as the world has, but that you have hope, that you have trust in God because... Man, we've got people now. They're in fear and they're wondering what's going on. The fact is, USA Today, a couple of weeks ago, carried an article. I think it was USA Today. They carried an article that said that uh, survival shelters, there's a spike in people buying survival shelters. They're spending twenty-five dollars to $30,000 burying them in their backyard. There's industries now with six months' worth of food and rations and all of this because people are unsettled in our day. They're unsettled in our day. They were unsettled in their day. They had a lot of questions. So let's just walk through this together. Listen, I'm not going to answer all of your questions. We're going to talk more about the mechanics, and then we're going to go deeper next week, and we're going to go even deeper the, the following week as we unpack this thing and we understand about the second coming of Jesus Christ. So here's what Paul writes to them, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. He writes these, these words, but we do not want you to be uninformed. We want you to know how it ends. Because, see, I believe that prophecy should never scare us. When we understand how it ends and we understand what the Bible says, it should be, bring us security and it should bring us great comfort. And so Paul's telling them the same as he's telling us, we, want you to be un- we do not want you to be uninformed brothers about those who are asleep. So let's stop right there. So here's their questions. Here's what they're stressing with. They're first-generation Christians. They believe Jesus was going to come back in their, in their generation, in their lifetime. Some of the some are Christians, some, some of their Christian relatives and friends have, have died, and they're wondering what is up with that. How does that whole deal work? I mean, they, uh, we, we thought Jesus was coming back before we all died. What is going on? So they had legitimate questions. They asked the questions. Paul's responding to them that you may not grieve as others who have no hope. In other words, you don't grieve like the optimist. You don't grieve like those where optimism is, a, is psychological and it's just wishful thinking or it's focused on man and it's we can work this out. You don't grieve like them who have no hope. You have hope. Hope is theological. Hope is not focused on man. Hope is focused on God, and it should give us great comfort in our life. And so Paul is speaking truth into their life, saying, we don't want you to grieve. We want you to understand. You remember, you remember the story of Lazarus when, uh, when Jesus went and, and, and he had been dead for like four days? And, and here's the interesting thing when you start looking at that whole story, and Jesus said he's not, a, he's not dead, he's, he's asleep. And, and what he meant by this was, was this, is... It's the body that dies, not the spirit. The spirit is not in an unconscious state. In fact, is Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.8, he says this into the Corinthian church, Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. And, and so what Scripture teaches is this, at death, those who are in Christ, those who are, who are believers... They don't go into this holdover place, and they don't wait. We go immediately into the presence of God. Luke chapter 16 gives a picture of heaven and hell. Gives a picture of judgment and salvation. 
and says that when those who are in Christ, when we die, the body dies, not the spirit. And the spirit goes and we are immediately, we are immediately with the Lord. And to understand this, what Paul was saying, we don't want you to be ignorant about this. We don't want you to be uninformed about this. We want you to, we want you to understand, you see, in our day, there are those that teach and talk about that the world just goes through these endless cycles. I mean, the world goes, some say a 10-year cycle, some say a 15-year cycle, and the world just goes through all these cycles, and no one has control over it, but that's no hope. And they say some believe that, you know, it was just like this. One generation dies and one generation rises. In other words, one generation is brought down, uh, one generation rises. And that's no hope. Where life is kind of like this merry-go-round of life and some getting off and some kind of getting on. There are some that buy into the, the, the theology of one of my favorite rock groups, Kansas, that we are just all dust in the wind. But there is absolutely no hope. Environmentalists will tell you, well, here's the deal. If we don't take care of the environment, environment, we won't be able to survive on this earth. No hope. There are some that say well, it's nuclear weapons. If we don't rid the world of nuclear weapons, then we're just going to destroy ourselves. Because why? It's optimism. It's focused on man, not focused on God. But it's people of no hope. And Paul is saying... I don't want you to be people uninformed. I don't want you to live life without hope. I don't want you to live life when you go through this time without understanding what is taking place. Who would have ever thought that America would drift so far from Judeo-Christian values? We now live in a land where marriage is no longer between a man and a woman. And some celebrate that. That we have drifted so far. But Jesus said, one of the signs of the seasons is gross immorality. It's a sign. Here a while back, I was invited to Washington, D.C. and went with a, a group of men from Pueblo to represent Pueblo, a series of meetings for a couple of days in, in Washington, D.C. It's my first trip to uh, well, it's my only trip so far to Washington, D.C., and, and I was shocked by the number of scriptures that was, it was just stamped and etched in the granite of, of monuments and everything else, and, and they cannot deny that. And now we can't even afford to cover it up, <laughs> which is a good thing. And I never forget, we took a tour of the U.S. Capitol, and the lady that was given the tour says, well, there's an inscription on the, the dome. And so as she read it, I, I just wrote it down, and here's what it said. One God, one law, one element, and one far-off divine event towards which the whole creation moves. Our forefathers believed in the second coming of Jesus Christ. And there's scripture after scripture after scripture in Washington, D.C. And the Bible teaches that Jesus Christ will come back. He will come back for his church. And then after a seven-year period, he'll come back with his church. 
And so I'm going to tell you about my eschatology, my, my theology of end times. But there's, there's basically three bets, okay, just so we're kind of on the same page. And you know what? I'm very, very aware that there, for some of you, this is, this is new information to you, and that's okay. We all had to start somewhere. We all had to start learning somewhere. And so I understand I'm speaking to a wide group of people to where there's some of you that have been studying uh, end-time theology, and there's others of you. I'm going to use some terms that are just new news to you, and that's okay. And so basically there, there's three different thoughts. There's, there's the thought that, that, that before the tribulation period, seven-year period, that Jesus comes back, removes his church out, and we will not be here for any of it. There's another thought that, that it's mid, and so that means that we go through three and a half years of the tribulation. Jesus comes back, pulls us out, and then things get really bad. And there's post, which means this, that at the end of seven years, we go through the whole tribulation period, and Jesus comes back at the end of seven years and pulls us out. Now listen, we can disagree on pre, mid, post. That's okay. But here's what we have to agree on. Jesus is coming back. Okay? We, 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 we just got to draw a line in the sand. We all got to agree with that. Over 300 times in the scriptures, Jesus referred to the second coming. It's prophetic. It's in prophecy. We're not waiting for anything else. Uh, we are only waiting for the last person, people group, to accept Christ, for him to come back. He is not waiting on any other thing to happen other than that. He can come back tonight. And we all have to agree that one day that Jesus Christ is coming back. And so the question is, well, okay, so can thinking people, I mean, we're, we're a lot, I mean, age of, uh, of, of enlightenment, and boy, we got computers and made so many more discoveries since these guys. And so can thinking people thousands of years later believe in the second coming of Christ? Legitimate question. Well, for salvation, we believe. Jesus Christ died on a cross for our sins. He was in the grave for three days. He was resurrected. He came back. And if we can believe that, it's no thing to believe that he's coming back for us. Fact is, if you and I believe the first couple of verses of Genesis that he spoke the world into, uh, into creation, that he just spoke the worlds, the heavens, and the earth, and the It is no thing to think that he is coming back for us. And so watch what, what 2 Peter verse three, uh, chapter 3, uh, verse 1 says. This is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember that the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandments of the Lord and Savior through the prophets, watch this, and through the apostles, knowing, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing. We're there. Following their own sinful desires, rampant immorality. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since uh, the fathers fell asleep and all things are contributing, uh, continuing as they were from the beginning of creation, for they deliberately overlooked this fact. Paul would say this, the reason the people don't believe in the second coming, the reason they don't believe in him, is not because they're too intelligent, 
is because they're disobedient. It's because they're overlooking the facts. They're overlooking some things. And he says that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. And that by means of, of, of the, these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and the earth that are now exist and are, are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and the destruction of the ungodly. But there was a day that God judged the world by a flood. And there will come the day when he'll judge the world and the world system by fire. And so Paul is saying, what God has done once, God will do again. Watch this, verse 14. Here's what Paul says about that. For since we believe, here he goes, since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have who have fallen asleep. So I want to give you four things with some subpoints as we just quickly walk through this. And this will be a springboard of where we're heading for the next three weeks. But four things that you need to understand about the second coming of Christ. At the return of Christ, there will be three attention-getting sounds. In other words, that there will be three attention-getting sounds. These are going to happen simultaneously. These are going to happen very quickly. And Paul gives us those things. The first thing is this, is that there will be a loud command. There'll be a loud command when the rapture happens, when Jesus Christ comes back for the church. Uh, verse 15, For this we declare to you by, by word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Remember when Jesus brought Lazarus out of the, the tomb? How did he do that? By command. Lazarus, come forth. Come out. So the first attention-getting sound is a loud command. The second one is this. Is it comes with the voice of the archangel. In other words, that this, there's this introduction, if you will. Now listen, I've never been able to be in one of those high-level meetings that the president attends or, or high-level officers or, or, or politicians or whatever, but I've seen, it on, I've seen it on TV. And you know this, right, that, that they introduce people as they come into the room, those that are important. And so when the president of the United States enters a room, someone is standing at the door and someone uh, with a very loud voice says, ladies and gentlemen, the president of the United States of America. And everybody turns. But with the second coming of Jesus Christ, be a loud command in the voice of the archangel. And you're going to say, ladies and gentlemen, king of kings and lord of lords, Jesus Christ. There also be a trumpet call is what the scripture tells us. And, you know, in our time, and we, we may not understand the meaning behind that and what that means, but when you, when you go back to the, the, the Old Testament, you find that, that the trumpet was, was uh, communicated a strong message. Like the children in, 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 of Israel, and when they were in the wilderness, remember that, and they were wandering around? Whenever they blew the trumpet, which is a very clear, distinct sound, whenever they blew the trumpet... It was for them to assemble. 
All the way through Scripture, the trumpet call was a call. It was a sound that they knew that they began to assemble, that they begin to gather. And so the Scripture is clear that at the return of Christ, that there will be some distinct sounds. Here's the second thing, that at the return of Christ, the dead in Christ will rise first. The Spirit departs the body, but uh, the, spirit, the Spirit is not unconscious. The Spirit is still alive. And, and the Scripture teaches that we, are not, we do not have our glorified bodies. We're not in, t- in our eternal state until the resurrection. Okay? Here's what the Scripture says in 1, Thessalonians, or, or 1 Corinthians 15, verse 35. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? I mean, we have those same questions, right? I mean, we, we have all kinds of questions, like will we recognize each other in heaven? Will we recognize each other in glorified state? I don't know how it happens. I don't know if we have name tags. I, I don't know how it happens, but I know this from Luke 16 and other accounts in Scripture. We will know each other. We will remember this world. We will remember some of the decisions that we've made. We will remember this world, and we will recognize each other. We'll be aware of each other, even in the glorified state. Uh, remember, when Jesus was resurrected in his glorified state, the disciples recognized him. They didn't ask, who are you? They knew who he was. And so he says, you foolish person. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of, uh, of wheat or, or some other grain. But God gives it a body, and as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. Jump down to verse 51. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. In other words, some of us will be alive at the second coming of Christ. But we shall be changed in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye. I mean, that's quick. At the last trumpet... For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this imperishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. Remember when Jesus died on the cross, and he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. It was his body that went to the grave. And at the resurrection... The third day, he had his glorified body. And the scripture says that the dead in Christ are raised first. Scripture talks about this violent force, you know, force of nature and tornadoes can be powerful. We can see um, cows flying around or moving homes and and, uh, it can have a lot of force. But this is a supernatural event. This says that we will be pulled out of this world. And the scripture says, so we will always, so we'll always be with the Lord. Second thing or third thing is this, is we're to be aware of his return. I mean, we're to get that. We're to understand that. Now listen, we're not to be, here's the danger of prophecy Jesus talked about this uh, in and, uh, Acts chapter 1, if you will. Uh, remember when Jesus came back in the glorified state and he met with the apostles there in, in the first chapter of Acts? What was the first question they asked him? The first question they asked him is, when are you going to set up your kingdom? I mean, they were, they were concerned with prophecy. Jesus basically said, you know what? Don't be so enamored with prophecy because here's what happened. If you're enamored with prophecy, it'll keep you from doing what God has called you to do. 
That's why in, in verse 8 he says, now, now do what I've called you to do. Evangelize the world to, to, to the to outer ends of the world. And so here's what the scripture says. Uh, that, that, uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.1 Now concerning the times and the seasons. So we're not going to know the exact times, but we know the seasons. Brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come. And how does he come? Like a thief in the night. I mean, this passage tells us that, that he comes like this thief in the night. And, and so we, we have only two times that we've been robbed uh, since Karen and I have been married. And so we remember both times very well. Uh, the first time we were living in Houston, Texas, we were living in a home. Our girls were young. We'd gone out for dinner uh, for the evening. We came back. Uh, man, if you've never been robbed, it's an interesting deal because as soon as we unlocked the door and we, we saw a window open and we had this eerie feeling. We saw a, a, a cabinet opened as well. And I just knew. We both just knew. Somebody's been in our house. And that was in the days before cell phones. So um, I ran across the street to call for help and sent Karen in to clear the house. And so... Uh, <laughs> I'm joking. You know that, right? And, and, you know, the other time, the other time was is we had been here for a couple of years and we took a vacation, so we, we loaded up the su- Suburban because all good Texans have Suburbans. You guys know that. And so uh, don't, they don't do well on snow, but we got Suburbans. And so we loaded up the Suburban. We headed to California. We stayed in a hotel in California. The kids were young. I mean, it's just one of those great vacations, but we, we had a, a, a vivid memory. And so one morning we came out to the Suburban and someone the night before had, had broken into a side, side window, uh, you know, broke out the glass, got into our car, and they like ransacked it. I mean, there was stuff scattered everywhere. You know, the girls, you know, the girls, they're only worried about their stuff. They're going through their suitcases. They're going through their stuff because they had their playthings in there. And then I still remember, don't remember which one. It's like, Dad, they didn't take any of our junk. And, and they didn't take anything. The fact is, both times we've been robbed, they didn't take any of our stuff. That's like adding insult to injury. You know what? If you're going to break in, just at least make us feel good that we got stuff that you want. <laughs> but here's the deal about that. When we were robbed both times in Houston, we didn't have a thief leave us a voicemail. Hey, guys, when you're at dinner tomorrow night, well, that'd be an awesome time. We're going to rob you. We're coming into your house, and we're, gonna, we're not going to... We don't want anything you got, but we just want to make sure. <laughs> we're going to rob you. California, they didn't, they didn't put a note under the windshield wiper and say, Tonight, man, we're robbing you. What Paul's trying to communicate, and what Jesus communicated, Matthew 24 and Luke 21. I'm coming like a thief in the night. I'm coming unexpectedly. That's why Paul says in verse 3, while people are saying there is peace and security. You see, as the end times get closer and closer and unfolds, we'll have, we'll have leaders raise up, and, and we even see it now. What are they talking about? All they talk about is how to give peace, how to give security. Optimism focuses on man. Optimism focuses on how we can bring peace, how we can bring security. And they'll do that by one government and one religion. 
And guess what? You can see the writing on the wall where we're headed. We'll talk about that in the days to come. We'll talk about this issue that we're going through right now called syncretism to where what's happening right now is they're taking all of these different religions and all of these different bits and they're trying to make them one so we all get along. And so we got syncretism going on right now. There'll be a falling away of the church and we'll talk about all that stuff. But Paul is saying... I'm going to come back. When people are saying peace and security, we can figure this out. We've got the answers. And sudden destruction will come upon them. Here he goes again. His labor pains come upon a, a pregnant woman. And they, they will not escape. Yeah. I remember when Karen was pregnant and the doctors couldn't give us the exact time. They could give us a season. But they couldn't give us the exact time. I remember when Karen would have false labor pains. We're having them now. And we knew that the time was coming. We knew that the season and the time was, was getting close. Verse 4, but you are not in darkness, brothers. For that day to surprise you like a thief. In other words, as believers, we should live our life like he's coming back tonight. Karen was, was, was gone. She was away for a week, and so I was like this bachelor for a week. And, and uh, you know, I, I don't know if you guys are, are like me, but I'm about ready to confess some things. But uh, when Karen's not home, our house is really not wife-ready. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I mean, I knew I had a week, and so I don't pick up like I normally do. And, and I had some things that I wanted to accomplish while she's away. She didn't give me a list. She didn't say, these are some things I'd like for you to do. But I had a list of things that, you know what, I wanted to accomplish. But you know what I did? I knew she wasn't coming home for a week, so I played a lot of golf. I mean, I mean every day when I got off at work, I headed to the golf course, and I would play till dark or the sp- Sprinklers would turn on, and you golfers, you know that whole deal. Uh, you don't know which one comes first, but, but it's coming. And so, fact is, I almost lost my life at Holly Dot. I was on the back side of Holly Dot when a, when a thunderstorm came up and, and had to go to the, like this shelter, learned a lot about lightning that day and, and rain. And so, so there was a break in the clouds, and so instead of headed you know, to the clubhouse, we decided to play on. And uh, that just wasn't bright. Uh, have you ever driven a, a golf cart when the rain is blowing sideways and it's hailing? It is awesome. I mean, it is like so, it really is. It's like so funny, and we're riding in it, and I'm debating with the guy that I'm playing with, Dane. I'm like, Dane, because by the time we got to the 18th hole, the green, I'm like, Dane, is a green still called a green when it's white with hail? And so we discussed that as we went back, and we were so drenched, and I tell you what, they felt so sorry for us, they gave us a rain check, and they didn't have to because we'd almost finished playing. Uh, but, but here's the deal. I got distracted. And Saturday morning came and I spoke at the, at the men's breakfast. And they're like, hey, want to go play golf? I'm like, no, the house is not wife ready. <laughs> and you know what? I went home and, man, I worked hard. <laughs> Still didn't really get everything accomplished because I ran out of time. 
time. I should have lived my life that week like Karen could come back in any moment and I wouldn't be embarrassed because it wasn't wife ready. Paul's trying to get them to understand that we as believers, we don't live our life saying one day I'm going to get my life together. One day I'm going to straighten up. One day I'm going to get my spiritual house in order. We understand. Prophetically, there's nothing keeping him back from coming back tonight. We live life with a different intensity. I never will forget a man that I worked with in engineering. His name is Dennis, and, and I witnessed to Dennis. He was brilliant, and he was intelligent. And I says, how about you, Dennis? Would, would you like to accept Christ? And Dennis said this. says, you know what I've decided? Right before I die, I'm going to accept him. I'm going to get right with him. I said, Dennis, nobody has that promise. Nobody can say that. And Paul's trying to get them to understand that he could come back tonight. Are you ready? The last thing is this, is that we're to be encouraged by his return. You see, I think there's some believers that have some fear about that. Like, how does that go down? How will it be to stand before him? And so I want to give you just three quick things as we close this morning about, about the encouragement we should have or, or, or what Scripture says that we should be encouraged by this promise of His return. Watch this, verse 11. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Now listen, there's a period in my life, and maybe you're like that, that... that when I was in high school, and I'd hear people talk, I'd hear preachers talk about the second coming of Christ, and I'd, I'd start thinking, you know what? Jesus, don't come back till I learn to drive. I'd like to experience that. I'd like to be able to drive a car, right? And then it was like, okay, and don't come back before I graduate high school. I want to do the senior prom deal. I, I want to do that graduation deal. Don't come back. And then I went through that, and it's like, don't come back till I get married. I, I want to experience marriage. I want to see what that's about. Getting married, and then all of a sudden it's like, well, don't come back till I have kids. We'd like to have kids. Don't come back till then. And then, then they got to be teenagers and started learning to drive, and then boys entered the scene. And it's like, Jesus, come back now. I mean, <laughs> you know, tonight will not be soon enough. Just come back. And you know what? God convicted me about that thought. If we're not careful, we become more in love with this world than Him. If we're not careful, we see this world being better than heaven. If we're not careful, we're lured into this world's value system and we think it's good as it gets. We are to be encouraged by His promised return. Some believers have fear, and maybe it's the fear of the unknown, and maybe they don't know how this whole thing is going to go down, and we're going to unpack that in the next several weeks. But here's just three quick things just for you to think about. We do not have fear because we are saved. We are saved and we are forgiven. Here's what Paul said in verse 8. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and a helmet for the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us to wrath. That right there, that verse and the outline of Revelation, we do not have time for it, but that's what I hang my eschatology on, that phrase right there. God has not destined 
his believers, those who are in Christ, for judgment and for wrath. We'll talk about that in the days to come. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. If we have put our faith in Christ, you are forgiven. You don't have to worry about that day when you see him face to face. You're not going to be judged for your sins. Let's explain it this way. Let's say that you're accused of a high-profile crime in our community. It's in the papers. They're talking about it on 5 and 30 News. They're talking about what you did. They're talking about what you're accused of doing. There's a trial. You go through a long, drawn-out, two-week trial. It's the last day. You've gotten word that the jury has deliberated, and they now, they now have come to a decision. And you're in a holding room, and your attorney walks in. And your attorney says, you know what? I, I, I want you to know what's about ready to happen. Uh, we're going to walk in. You're going to take your seat at the normal place. The jury will file in. The judge will come in. The jury will hand the bailiff the verdict. The bailiff will hand it to the judge. And the judge will read it. You'll stand, and the judge reads it. And then your attorney leans over to you and says, But I got good news. I'm not supposed to know this. But I've gotten word. It's not guilty. You couldn't wait to stand before the judge, right? You couldn't wait to stand before the judge. So your friends know, your family knows, your community knows, not guilty. You say, well, well, wait a minute. I did it. You don't understand. I committed that sin. You don't, you don't understand. When we stand before him, he is not going to judge us. In a sense, we have already been judged on the cross. When he went to the cross and took on our sin, the day is going to come. And here's where I believe that we will understand the depths of forgiveness that God has given us. You think about your deepest sin. You think about that sin that you carry shame and guilt over. And one day, you're going to stand before him. He's going to say, my blood covers you. You are forgiven. Yeah, we'll give an account of our life. We'll give an account of what we did with Jesus and what we did with the resources that God gave us. But we will hear, forgiven. Another reason that we have encouragement is because of, his promise, because of the promise reunion, verse 10, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Can you imagine what that day is going to be like? We first see Christ face to face. 
And then we begin seeing our loved ones who are in Christ. And we recognize them. And we visit and we talk. And the last thing is this, is we're encouraged because we'll be with him forever. not a lot of information in scripture about what heaven looks like I mean there's some things and we get a glimpse into heaven and we get a glimpse in revelation and some other places but there's not a lot of stuff in scripture what heaven heaven looks like but here's what is very very clear in scripture is how to get there Jesus Christ said I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. I'm the door. Salvation is found in me. This morning, do not harden your hearts. If you need to accept him, this is your morning. That you ask him to come into your life, forgive you of your sins, and give you the gift of eternal life. Maybe you're a believer. And maybe you'd be one of those that would say, you know what? My house is not in order. And I'm one of those ones saying, one day I'll straighten it up and one day I'll take care of it. Would you make a commitment today to say, you know what, spiritually? I'm getting my house in order. And I'm going to live like he's coming back tonight.